this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. If you'll open your Bibles today to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you're new, we are in the midst of a study called Who is Jesus? And we've been walking through the Gospel of John. And in these last few weeks, we're really walking through the events of Christ's passion. And so today we're going to be in chapter 19. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 905. And so if you'll find John 19 in your copy of God's Word, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 today. And what we're really talking about today is that Christ was condemned so that we can be accepted. You know, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are totally accepted by God. In fact, you've been adopted as a child of God. But that did not come cheaply. Our acceptance with God is because Christ was condemned in our place. We're accepted because he was condemned. Let's look at John chapter 19 this morning and look at verses 1 through 16. If you'll follow along with me in God's word. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves! And crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority? to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. 
Father, we pray that you would take your word now and that you would use it by the power of your spirit to understand more fully your love in giving your son for us. May we understand more deeply what Christ has done for us. May we understand that Christianity is not good advice about what we're to do. It's good news about what you have done. And we love you because you first loved us. And really it's understanding your love for us that puts wind in the sails of our living and motivates us to obedience. We love because you first loved us. We need to understand how much you have loved us. And so, Father, we pray that today you would speak to us of your love. Lord, may everything else be completely drowned out, and may we be locked in on what you would say to us today through your word, by your spirit, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a place in Lord of the Rings where the the great witch king, the demon king, is coming into the city to destroy the city and all the people inside. And Pippin, the hobbit, is at the gates of the city and the demon king is coming in and it's about to be destroyed. And just at that moment, Pippin hears off in the distance the sound of a horn. And it's the unmistakable sound of the the horn of Rohan. The the riders of Rohan are coming to the rescue. They're coming to save Pippin. They're coming to save the city. And they do save the city. They do save Pippin that day. But the king of Rohan, the leader of the rescuers, dies in the process. And Tolkien says that for the rest of his life, whenever Pippin would hear the sound of that horn, he would burst into tears because he would remember the one who sacrificed himself so that he could be spared, so that he could be rescued. That's what we're talking about in these weeks as we walk through the the passion of Jesus, the the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, that, that we were rescued, that we were saved, we were spared because of what Christ has done for us. We can be accepted Because Jesus was condemned. You know, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if Christ is your Savior and Lord, if you have trusted in Christ and you're you're resting on His finished work for you, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. But why? Why? Because Jesus took your condemnation. You can be accepted by God because Jesus was condemned in your place. That's what we've been talking about in these weeks. We saw in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was bound so that we could be free. Jesus was bound so that we could be unbound. And then Jesus is subjected to this mock trial so that we don't have to be on trial anymore. In our lives, if we're in Christ, the verdict has already been spoken over us. Not guilty, but righteous. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of the perfect righteousness of Christ that is credited to us when we trust in Him. We are accepted 
because Jesus was condemned. We can live because Jesus died and rose again. So what do we see in the beginning of this 19th chapter? The first thing that we see is torture. Verse 1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Matthew and Mark tell us that there were actually two floggings, uh, one of which took place at this point, another took place immediately prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. And really there were, there were three very distinct types of Roman floggings. Uh, the first kind of, uh, of, of flogging, the fustigatio, was for relatively minor offenses. The second, the uh, flagellatio, was a brutal flogging. But the third, most brutal of all, was the verberatio, and that was a flogging that took place immediately prior to crucifixion. In that kind of a flogging, which Jesus is going to endure prior to his crucifixion, the victim was stripped, tied to a post. There were several who would do the beating, and they would whip the person until their arms didn't have strength to, to fling the whip anymore. The, whip, the whips were leather. They, the thongs at the end of the whip would have bits of metal and bone plated into the thongs, so that it would just rip into the backside of a person very, very quickly. But of course, the beating didn't end very quickly. They did it until they could, their arms could no longer whip anymore. And so what would happen in this kind of a flogging is that the, usually the internal organs of the person would be exposed, and the person often died even before, they were, uh, before crucifixion could even take place. Now, this explains why Jesus has difficulty carrying his cross. It explains why he stumbles and falls on his way to Golgotha. Jesus is going to endure this verberatio, this, this, this most brutal of floggings, just before his crucifixion. That's not the flogging that John is talking about in verse 1. This is probably the less severe flogging. The first one was less severe because at this point, Pilate's intention is to punish Jesus and release him. The Gospel of Luke makes that very clear. Pilate does not want to kill Jesus. He wants to punish him enough so that hopefully the Jewish leaders will be appeased and he's going to let Jesus go. That's what he wants to do. Now, why? It's not because Pilate is a compassionate guy. It's because we know from the Gospel of Matthew that Pilate's wife, the night before, has had a dream about Jesus. And in her dream, she dreams that she knows that she, it's revealed to her that Jesus is a righteous man, that her husband is to have nothing to do with his death. Pilate is also, as a Roman, a pagan. He, he believes in, in many gods. He's a polytheist. And so he believes that sometimes the gods can come down to earth in human form. They were very superstitious about things like this. And so he fears killing Jesus. But what we're going to see is that as the morning goes on, he's going to fear not killing Jesus even more. Because of his fear of, of people. That will play, that'll play out as we go along. 
Verses 2 and 3. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. So now sort of a, a sick, sadistic barracks humor takes over, sort of a cruel mob mentality takes hold of these soldiers. They've heard talk of Jesus being some sort of a king, and so they kneel and mock homage the way that they would kneel before their king, before Caesar. They would kneel and say, Ave Caesar. And so they kneel in mockery and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And of course the irony is that one day those soldiers and every other human being will kneel before Jesus. They beat Him with their hands. Matthew tells us that they, they took a, a reed and put it in his right hand, mocking the scepter that kings would hold. And then they took the reed out of his hand and beat him with that. And of course, all of this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah prophesied about a suffering servant who was to come. In Isaiah 50 and verse 6, the servant says this, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Jesus is the suffering servant. And then, since every king needs a crown, they make a crown of thorns, almost certainly from the spikes of a date palm. Hard spikes, long spikes. And they put them together and smash it down on the head of Jesus. The irony uh, here is, is, that, uh, um, is that just a, a few days before, when Jesus has come into the city, uh, they've waved the branches of a date palm, singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they wave these, these, these palm branches, uh, thinking that Jesus is going to come into the city. The waving of those palm branches was a sign of military conquest. Their hope is that Jesus is going to come into the city and kick out the Romans. But Jesus has disappointed them. Jesus has no intention of being that kind of Messiah. And so now the, the, the same crowd that had been waving the branches of the date palm and shouting Hosanna is crying, is crying out in approval as the spikes of the date palm are smashed down upon the head of Jesus and the blood runs. And of course, the blood was running for them. It was running for us. Verses 4 and 5. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now, of course, what Pilate means by this is he's looking at the Jewish leaders down below, and he's saying, Look, he, this man is ridiculous. Look at this man. Is this who you feel so threatened by? Look at him. Look, he's wearing this crown of thorn, this 
this purple robe. He's been, he's, he's bloody. He's beaten. Behold this man. Look at this man. He's ridiculous. Is this who you're threatened by? Pilate's, um, Pilate thinks that, uh, perhaps at this point they'll allow him to, to release Jesus. Look at this man. Now, of course, the irony is that Jesus was the ultimate man. Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus was the God-man. Jesus is the man who will one day judge every other man. But here is Jesus allowing himself to be horribly humiliated at the hands of men. Why? It was for us. It was all for us. Jesus is, is thinking about our need, totally about our need for salvation. You know, Paul tells us that whenever we're tempted to act selfishly, whenever we're tempted toward pride and to put ourselves first, we should think of Jesus. He says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says in Romans 15, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In his book, No Easy Day, one of the seals who took part in the raid on the Bin Laden compound tells about a moment when they were going into the room of the terrorist and Bin Laden had already been shot at this point, but one of his wives ran screaming at the seals and she had on a long robe and they knew from experience that often the women would have a suicide vest concealed beneath their robe and they had every reason to think that might be the case at this point, but just at that moment, as this woman came rushing at the seals, the, the one who was in front, the seal who was in front, just immediately, with, without even a second thought, placed his body between the, the woman and the other seals that were behind him, thinking that if she exploded, he would take the brunt of the explosion. Just a selfless act. Jesus knows that the explosion is coming. Jesus places himself between the explosion, between the judgment upon sin and us. He takes the full force of it, all of it. We see torture and then we see treachery. Pilate, in bringing Jesus out in this condition, hopes to appease the religious leaders. Instead, the sight of the bloody Jesus is like sharks. It has the effect upon them of, of sharks uh, sensing blood in the water. 
And so in verse 6, it says, When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now he knows they can't do this. The, the, the religious leaders have no authority to crucify whatsoever. The Romans have to do that. Pilate knows that. But he's angry with them. He's humiliating them. He knows that only he can crucify Jesus. But then in verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Now, what they're trying to do is score points with Pilate by pointing to their religious law. The deal between the Romans and occupied peoples was that they would respect local religious law. And so they're saying, we have a law, and this man has broken our law. And the deal is, you have to respect that. Now, they still have another card up their sleeve that they haven't played yet. They have an ultimate bullet to fire that they haven't fired yet, and we're going to see later on what that is. But for now, they point to their religious law as a reason why he should be crucified. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, their mention in verse 7 about a son, son of God does not have the effect upon Pilate that they would hope for. Because when Pilate hears this statement, Son of God, he really freaks out inwardly. Because he's a pagan, you know, he's heard stories of gods coming to earth in human form. In Acts chapter 14, there's an incident where Paul and Barnabas are, are ministering to a pagan crowd. There's a man who's crippled, he's healed. And this crowd of Pagans believe that Paul and Barnabas are gods who have come down to earth in human form. And that they believe that Paul is Hermes and Barnabas is Zeus and they're ready to offer sacrifices to them until Paul and Barnabas tell them to stop. You know, and so Pilate, coming from a pagan background, when he hears a term like this, there's a son of God, he's, he's very concerned about that. And when you couple it with the dream that his wife has had the night before, he was very much afraid. And so he begins to question Jesus. Where are you from? What's your origin? And Jesus, knowing that Pilate really is not seeking after truth. I mean, we saw that last week. Pilate, was re- he really had no interest in the truth. Jesus knows that. And so Jesus just remains silent and again This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah about the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Pilate is not used to people that he's questioning, not immediately answering his questions. And so he says indignantly to Jesus in verse 10, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus responds in verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you 
from above. In other words, any authority that you have is a derived authority. It comes from the God who puts you in your position and the God who can take you out any time that he pleases. And the God who will be here long after you have gone. Where is Pontius Pilate today? Dead. In the grave. Where is Jesus Christ today? Risen from the grave. And coming again to rule and reign as the king of kings. Paul tells us in Philippians, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now this is the card that they were waiting to play. This was the bullet that they have held in reserve until now. But now they pull the trigger because they know that once Pilate hears this, there is no way that he is going to not crucify Jesus. They know, if, if word gets back to Tiberius Caesar in Rome that someone said anything about being a king and Pilate did not crucify that person, Pilate knows that not only is his career over, his life would be over. And Pilate, as we've already seen, is not into principle. Pilate is into self-preservation. It takes him about a nanosecond to cave in to what they want. Look at what happens immediately in verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. As soon as Pilate hears this threat, he, it's over. He immediately just melts and sits down in his judgment seat to pronounce the verdict of death upon Jesus. Now again, this is deeply ironic. Because Pilate sits down in the Bema seat to pronounce judgment on the one who will one day pronounce judgment on him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. Now, verse 14, John says, Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. John never lets this get far away. He's, he's constantly reminding us of when this takes place. It's Passover. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims have flooded into the city of Jerusalem. On this very day, hundreds of thousands of lambs 
are being slaughtered to be offered as sacrifices. As the Passover meal is going to be eaten that evening in memory of the exodus, of God's deliverance from them, from slavery in Egypt. It was all in memory of of what happened in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The problem of the ancient Israelites in Egypt was slavery. And the solution was blood. God said, you take the blood of these lambs and you put it on your doorpost. You smear it on your doorpost. And when the death angel comes, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your home and you will be spared. It's where it comes from. And now, on this day in Jerusalem, it's Passover. They're remembering the Passover. And the ultimate Passover lamb that every, every other Passover lamb pointed to, but not one of them could truly take away sins. The ultimate Passover lamb is going to be slaughtered so that we can be spared. John told us in chapter 1, didn't he? Jesus is who? He's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, our problem is slavery. Slavery to sin. Slavery to the judgment that comes from sin. And the solution for us is blood. It's the blood of Jesus smeared to our hearts when we trust in Christ. Trust in His finished work. He said to the Jews, Behold your King. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Now this is just a devastating self-indictment. Every Jewish person knew that the Old Testament said that it was God that was their king. That God and God alone was their ultimate king. And here are the chief priests who are supposed to be men of God, who are supposed to be the leaders of the nation, saying, we have no king but Caesar, this pagan in Rome. John includes this because as a Jew, John knows that many other Jews are going to read his gospel. And he wants... He wants them to trust in Christ and he he wants Jewish people who read his gospel to understand that they were sold out by their leaders and that their leaders crucified their Messiah. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. But before that, Matthew says that Pilate asked one more question. Pilate said to them, 
then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? That's the question each one of us must answer. What will I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? You know, we have to do something with Jesus. One of my heroes, John Stott, who was a pastor of All Souls Church in London for many years, came to Christ as a teenager. And it happened when a guest speaker at his, the, the prep boys' school where he went in England came one day, and, he, and this was his text. He came and preached, and this was his text. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And John Stott said, it had never dawned on me that I needed to do anything with Jesus. I thought I believed, but there, were, it was, there had never been any sort of a personal transaction. I didn't know that I had to do anything with Jesus. But we do. And to do nothing, to do nothing is to reject Jesus. We can't stay in neutral about Jesus Christ. We either accept Him and welcome Him into our lives and repent of our sins and trust Him as our Savior and our King, or we say, I'm going to do life on my own, thank you very much, and reject Him. There's really no in-between. What will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love. The love that gave your Son for us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus looked to our need and put us before himself and allowed himself to be bound so that we could be set free. Allowed himself to be subjected to a mock trial so that For us, the trial is over when we trust in Him. Allowed Himself to be put to the lash so that as Isaiah 53 says, by His stripes we can be healed. Allowed Himself to be condemned and sentenced to death so that we can be accepted. Allowed Himself to die so that we can live. Amazing love. As we continue to pray, what will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? Have you turned to Jesus and placed your trust in Him? Have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do it today. Turn to Him. His pierced hands are open to you. Come today. As a Christian... What is God saying to you about your level of commitment to Him in light of the commitment that He's made to us? Father, speak to our hearts. Have your way in each one of our lives as we follow Jesus. We pray it in His name. Amen. If you're here and you've got questions about Jesus you want to know more about a personal relationship with him, I'm going to be here at the front. I'll be here after our service. Love to talk with you. Would love to minister to you. If, if you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of our church family, 
Um, we want to invite you to come, as a couple of people did in our early service. If you're here and there's just a need in your life and you need somebody to pray with, we'd love to do it. You come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together. Thank you.